Anti-vaxxers disrupt the salmon arm school system. Hey guys, we're just gonna wait for the kids. The kids. What they did that kept kids under lockdown. Medical exemptions explained. Most people on medical grounds are eligible to receive the vaccine and should do so. A reality check for those who think they shouldn't get the shots. And many watched a child in distress. Only one was charged. Why justice for Carson Kremeni will be tragically limited. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Pandemic protests are ramping up. Just two weeks after disrupting health care services at hospitals across B.C., opponents of vaccines and vaccine mandates are now targeting schools. Staff at schools in the Salmon Arm School District today were forced to initiate hold and secure protocols, meaning students had to remain in their classes and all entrances other than the main entrance were locked. We need to get the information and find out. No, no, we need to find out. Right now, you guys need to find out. It's your job to protect the community. Please find out what they are informing the kids with. If they are saying... The action was taken because protesters had gathered outside the school district office on Thursday trying to disrupt a pop-up vaccination clinic. And they moved on to several schools today. Some of the protesters had actually entered schools, sparking the hold and secure action by the school district. In my opinion, it's definitely crossing the line there. I, uh, yeah, and the protests outside the hospitals and everything. I don't think that's uh, any need for that. You know, school's important for these kids, and that's the last thing we need happening. So I had a good talk with my son there. He's hard for them to understand those little guys but got to keep positive you know and we don't need that stuff in our town or need it anywhere little kids don't need to see that you know they don't need to know i mean yes they know what's going on and they understand that there's problems and stuff but that's not the place i don't think that's the place this is just a complete and utter disgrace the word covidia doesn't even to begin to describe uh, how inappropriate the actions of these of these uh, of these whack jobs uh, is it's just, it's unacceptable in the extreme. The Salmon Arm School District says the hold and secure protocol will remain in place next week for an undetermined period of time. The owners of a popular restaurant in Hope are defying the requirement to check customers for their BC vaccine cards. As John Hua reports, the owners say they're going public so their would-be customers can decide for themselves whether or not to visit. Today's special, the Toasted Club Sandwich. And taking a stand against BC's vaccination passport mandate. Uh, That's up to them, I guess, the business owner. It's kind of disappointing because we love going there for for our meals. Rolly's Restaurant in Hope says it's getting a lot of local support, both online and in person. And believes with so many businesses struggling to survive during this pandemic, with the right mask and social distance protocols in place, it shouldn't have to turn people away. I think that's pretty bold. The owners of Rolly's restaurant would not speak on camera, but told Global News they believe the vaccine passport mandate forces them to discriminate against their customers. They much rather publicly declare they are not asking for proof of vaccinations, allowing patients to decide for themselves whether they're comfortable dining inside. 
But by taking this stance, they admit they've already been visited by local bylaw and the regional health inspector. This isn't uh, discrimination against clients. This is recognizing that the bulk of the people of this province are vaccinated and that the way we are going to defeat this virus is by everybody getting vaccinated. You don't need the vaccine uh, passport? No. Um, is there any reason? I mean, it's, it's we're good, doing, I guess. We're, we're, doing the, we're doing counter service. Vancouver's Corduroy restaurant likening itself to a fast food joint, hoping that a creative counter service loophole means the mandate doesn't apply to them. There could be violations of uh, uh, the liquor uh, licensing uh, in effect. There could be uh, work safe uh, violations. There could be uh, a la- uh, COVID uh, safety plan violations. The public safety minister says BC's interagency enforcement group will look into any loopholes and decide when fines are necessary. We've been working on trying to uh, have a very soft touch on enforcement. Uh, we have not made this about cracking down. We've made this about following the lead of the public. Back at Rollies, the owner says they haven't heard whether officials are planning to serve up any fines, but say supporters have indicated they'd be willing to donate to a legal defense fund if it comes to that. John Hua, Global News, Hope. Well, some of the hundreds of thousands of British Columbians who still don't have their shot say they simply can't due to medical reasons. But the province has now released its list of medical exemptions. And as Kamil Karamali reports, it's a very short list. A call for more nurses at this rally just outside Victoria, all part of a Canada-wide day of action, demanding more staffing, safer work environments, higher wages. This one organized by the BC Nurses Union. We are so short of nurses that it's become increasingly unsafe. So short that the union isn't on board with mandating vaccines for its members out of fear some will quit. But many nurses actually want the union to have a firmer pro-mandate stance. You cannot have one way or the other. You have to have a strong stance. They need to say they will support nurses who can't be vaccinated for significant health reasons, and that's it. The province now releasing a list of those health reasons that would allow anyone in B.C. to avoid the vaccine, and the list is short. So it's a very small number of British Columbians, very small number of Canadians, who are exempted from receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. So short, it only contains one exemption to taking the vaccine. And that's if a person has a history of having allergic or anaphylactic reactions to any component of both Health Canada-approved vaccines. Other circumstances only allow you to defer taking the COVID-19 vaccine until a later date. For any issues involving inflammation, the province says you can wait 90 days to get the jab. Any less severe reactions to the first dose also allow you to postpone the second dose until a consultation with the professional or more information on the risk of reoccurrence is available. This will be very, very few individuals and it needs to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis very carefully. Leaving most in BC, including nurses, with very few options but to get the jab, especially now that the province has also announced all healthcare workers need to be vaccinated to go to work or will be placed on unpaid leave. The union still leaving it in the hands of its members. We all see the value in in vaccine, and I would be surprised to know a nurse that hasn't been vaccinated. But believing most will make the right choice. Kamal Karamali, Global News.
COVID-19 cases are surging in the northern part of the province and on Vancouver Island, and that's driving our overall numbers up. We have 768 new cases province-wide. Close to 300 of those are in the Northern Health District and Island Health. Our total number of cases since the pandemic began is nearing 178,000. Sadly, there have been 11 new deaths in the past 24 hours, including one in their 40s. 298 people are in hospital, an increase of seven, and 135 are in the ICU. There are more than 6,000 active cases in B.C. and 78.9% of eligible British Columbians, 12 and older, are now fully vaccinated. Okay, for more on the situation in Northern Health, let's bring in our Keith Baldry. Keith, how does this region compare to the rest of B.C.? Yeah, it's the worst, uh, frankly, on a per capita basis. Fraser Health, of course, was the sort of epicenter of the pandemic for so long. But now on a population basis of just about 300,000, the case numbers in the north are starting to become quite alarming. 161 cases reported today, far and away the most cases ever detected in the north in one day. Take a look at some of the other numbers. They're averaging 98 cases a day, about 700 a week. Uh, again, the positivity rate, the highest by far in the province, 21% compares to the provincial average is 6%. And again, the lowest vaccination rate, not even 75%, while the, the provincial average, 86.5%. The fact the North has such low immunization numbers was brought up by Premier John Horgan today in a discussion with reporters and pointed out in response to Alberta Premier Jason Kenney's request to send patients here, pointed out in our rural areas up North, the vaccination numbers are so low, the case numbers are so high, we simply can't answer that demand. On border communities in the peace country, the um, Columbia Valley and, and through uh, the Rockies, our uh, immunization rate is much lower than in other parts of British Columbia. So those interface communities between Alberta and British Columbia uh, are particularly at risk. Uh, we've seen uh, significant numbers of cases as a result of uh, lack of immunizations in those communities. Uh, the same can be said in Alberta. Uh, the, in fact, the, the rural challenges for uh, Albertans are, are even graver than they are here in British Columbia. So I'll give you an update on two towns not of the Northern Health Authority, but we just touched on at the top of the newscast. Salmon Arms vaccination rate quite low, 75.6%. About 8,200 people in that town have yet to get the, at least one shot. Hope, again, less than 75% vaccination rate there. About 2,300 people waiting, hopefully, to get their first shot there. So again, low vaccination numbers in two towns that seem to have a problem with vaccines and vaccination cards. All right, well, let's send some encouragement to them to get the shot as quickly yep. as they can. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, more than two years after a 14-year-old boy died of an overdose and the shocking video of his last hours was widely shared on social media, the father of Carson Cremeni says it's a relief that one person has now been charged. But as Ramina Dea reports, Aaron Cremeni says there are others who still need to be held responsible in his son's death. A warning, some of the video in this story is disturbing. Best word I can think of is relief. Aaron Kremeni and his family have been fighting for this moment in the name of Carson. The teen's case now in court. A charge of manslaughter has just been approved against a 20-year-old man. It's been two years and a month waiting. It's been getting to the point where there's been times where I've doubted if it was even going to happen. So, um... Yeah, it's good news. What did you say your name was? Uh, <laughs> they laughed 
They stood by. They filmed it. Then posted Carson's last moments alive online. The 14-year-old died alone from a drug overdose near Langley Skate Park in August 2019. The drugs given to Carson by older individuals, says the victim's father. Well, it's been um, all-consuming. I mean, it's all—it's really hard to describe. Um, nothing's really gotten better. The accused made his first court appearance in Surrey on Thursday. He cannot be named because he was a youth at the time of Carson's death. Investigators interviewed more than a hundred witnesses and received more than a hundred tips in this case. The victim's family disappointed. Only one person has been charged. Myself and my dad both believe that more than one person should be charged. Just moral reprehensibility doesn't amount to criminal liability. Criminal lawyer Ravi Hira, who is not connected to Carson's case. Tells Global News, laughing and standing by is not a criminal offense. Being a terrible person is insufficient without more to make you a criminal. Generally, one is only a party to an offense if one aids or abets the principal offender. The suspect back in court October twentieth. Aaron. We'll be there too. This won't make up for his loss, but I think it'll teach people that what was done was wrong, um, and hopefully prevent this from happening again in the future. Romina Dea, Global News. An anti-LGBTQ2 street preacher involved in a violent confrontation in the West End last year has pleaded guilty to assault causing bodily harm. But as Catherine Urquhart reports. Dory Love won't serve any jail time in the attack that left a Vancouver man with a broken leg. Hey, buddy. Hey, How's things going today? Good. How are you? Good. Anti-gay street preacher Dory Love arrives at Vancouver Provincial Court. Inside, he pleads guilty to assault causing bodily harm. The victim, Sportsnet 650 broadcaster Justin Morissette. I think I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I had just turned the other cheek and walked away and ignored this. Morissette ended up in hospital with a broken leg following an altercation with Dory Love and his group, Christian Preachers, in August 2020. At the time, Love was holding one of his sermons at Thurlow and Davy. Morissette challenged what was being said and grabbed the microphone. When I heard what was being said, I took it a step further and told them to uh, pack their things and leave because you're not welcome in this uh, neighborhood. He broke my leg on purpose uh, and and threw me to the ground and took his microphone back. On social media, Dory Love tried to justify his actions. Mike, out of my hand, forcefully snatched me out of my hand and pushed me out the way. Um, that's assault and robbery. He was charged with nothing. Back in provincial court, Love was sentenced for assault causing bodily harm. Judge Reg Harris imposed a conditional discharge with 12 months of probation. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Still more 911 horror stories coming to light. This time on Vancouver Island, Kylie Stanton has the story of a man who was forced to rush his wife to an ambulance station himself. And of another man for whom help never came. Come on. Being put on hold can be frustrating at the best of times, but when it's the worst of times and it's 911 you're waiting for, 
Well, it could be a matter of life or death. This is the rules. 911 means you get someone. You get help. If you can't get through, what's the alternative? On the evening of August 28th, around 9.30, Nigel Habgood found his wife, Carol, bleeding heavily in their bathroom. He knew she needed medical attention, and quickly. But that just didn't happen. I was flabbergasted at the 10-minute wait. When it got to 20 minutes, I just... Couldn't, I, I was speechless, to be honest with you. At that point, the 72-year-old gave up. He got his wife into their vehicle and made their way to the Oceanside Health Centre, only to find out it was closed for the evening. As a note says, if we're closed, call 911. <laughs> I thought, this is crazy. In an act of desperation, Habgood banged on a nearby ambulance bay, where a crew was available to help. They assessed and stabilized Cowell before transporting her to the Nanaimo Regional General Hospital. So there was ambulance crews available, but not a dispatcher. I couldn't believe it. What's even more unbelievable is this is not a one-off. Just a day earlier, Chuck Blakely collapsed in his Parksville home as his family called 911. He died before the ambulance arrived 31 minutes after the call was placed. I mean, that's... Just two of us in two days, I'm sure it's happened to a lot of other people. According to BC Emergency Health Services, call volumes on August 28th were up 27% over the regular emergency call volume. In a statement, it said, Our call taker and dispatch system has been put to the test this summer. We are taking action to improve service and response times by adding 30 dispatch staff. They've got to be able to do that. They have to do that. The couple says it will take a lot to restore their confidence in the system, but hopes for everyone's sake, speaking out, will help bring about the much-needed changes that could ultimately save lives. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The first big fall storm of the season is causing a lot of problems around the lower mainland. The storm roared ashore in the early morning hours, bringing heavy rain and strong winds. The storm downed trees and knocked out power and communication lines. All of that rain flooding some low-lying streets and made for very dangerously slippery driving conditions. As much as 80 millimeters of rain is expected before the storm moves on. And this was the scene in North Surrey where a large retaining wall gave way in all that rain. As you can see, the collapse sent a torrent of mud and concrete blocks spilling over River Road near 117th Street. Luckily, no one was hurt, and that section of River Road has been closed for the cleanup. It's been a long time since we've seen rain like this, and for more on how much we've seen so far and what we can, uh, what we can expect over the weekend, here's Christy. Thanks, Chris. Well, this really is a significant fall storm, especially considering summer's not even over yet. But we had rainfall all day long. And at YVR reported by 4 p.m., more rainfall than we've seen since January of 2019. Here's a look at the numbers. We're talking about 30 to 60 millimeters of rain by 4 p.m. so far. And the rain isn't done. We're expecting it to last right through the evening hours. Now, as high stream flow advisory has been issued by the River Forecast Center, the rivers have been so incredibly low through the summer there's grave concern for rapid rise of those river levels not only tonight but through the day tomorrow so people are asked to be staying well away from the rivers now as you mentioned power outages as well thousands without power across northern vancouver island sunshine coast and the lower mainland when i come back we'll show you which areas we're concerned about as we head through the evening hours those areas could still see gusts up to 70 kilometers an hour
All right, we're prepared. Thanks very much, Christy. A global movement to Kamloops to Shuetmuk hopes you join. This is a chance for people of all ages and all walks of life to honor the missing Indian children of the residential school. Why you'd better warm up your singing voice. That's next on the News Hour. Well, their homes have been in ruins for weeks, but some Lytton residents are only just finding out if there's anything to salvage. That's coming up on the News Hour. And climate change ruining coral reefs. UBC research exposes the devastating impact for human populations, too. That's later. Right now, though, next Thursday will be Canada's first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, a statutory holiday for federal workers, but it's not recognized, at least not yet, provincially. Nitu Garcha has more on the day that's designed to educate the world about the legacy of residential schools and to honor the survivors. It's called the Shaquetmik Honor Song. And the Tecumloops to Shwetmik First Nation is inviting the world to learn it. Join us on September the 30th at 2.15 p.m. Pacific to drum for the children. Releasing this video. Help us shine a light on truth, the pursuit of justice and peace. Ahead of the country's first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on what's been known as Orange Shirt Day. As 215 was that number that made a ripple around the world. This is not a scripted part of this, um, but I'm not going to hide my emotion or the opportunity today to say that it is meaningful for people to join us at 215 on September 30th. While it's a federal holiday, few provinces have followed suit. It is the minimum. Uh, it is the, the, the least that we can do as a country and as a province is to make that recognition. So we're hopeful that other provinces will come on. But, it, uh, you know, here in British Columbia, we're clearly hoping that uh, B.C. will lead the way. To have uh, provincial, national and indeed international recognition of this profound black mark on Canadian history is something that I believe we need to embrace, acknowledge. As Premier John Horgan hints the new provincial stat announcement could be coming soon, the Union of BC Indian Chiefs feels it's also a chance to highlight the need for school curriculum changes. There's many doctors and lawyers and uh, Indigenous knowledge keepers that could put our curriculum together. Uh, They need to be the ones doing it. Because she says even with a national holiday dedicated to it, reconciliation isn't possible without effective education for everyone. Nitu Garcha, Global News. And just a quick correction, I said uh, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation was next Thursday. It is a week after that, September 30th. So a week next Thursday. Mark it on your calendar. Mm-hmm. Coming up, heading into the final weekend of the election campaign. The last-minute controversies dogging Aaron O'Toole and Liberal candidates, too. Also, later, the battle over booster shots and whether everybody should get one. 
Well, it's been a brutal evening traffic-wise, so definitely pack your patience. Traffic remains gridlocked both ways along Highway 99 to and from the Massey Tunnel. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. The Conservatives and Liberals both campaigning in southern Ontario today, a key battleground in the federal election. But there are some troubling issues dogging the Liberals and Conservatives heading into the final weekend of the campaign. Miranda Ann Fissel reports. On Friday, the Conservatives and Liberals crossed paths in southwestern Ontario, pushing hard to appeal to voters in the region. Tory leader Aaron O'Toole grilled by reporters, some suggesting he relies on talking points rather than giving a direct answer on whether he still supports Alberta Premier Jason Kenney's handling of the pandemic. That province declared another state of emergency this week. The most important thing is I don't care about their political party. I care about the Canadians in their provinces. I wish we had a prime minister that did that. Meanwhile, the Liberals are under scrutiny for another candidate's past involving sexual misconduct accusations. The campaign has already seen candidate Raj Saini step down due to allegations of harassment, which he denies. Now, a report in the Toronto Star says Toronto candidate Kevin Vung was charged with sexual assault in 2019. The charges were dropped and Vung denies the allegations. Trudeau was questioned on how the party didn't know about this sooner. We only found out about it yesterday through uh, the work done by the Toronto Star. Uh, we have questions about that. We have questions about what exactly happened. We are looking into that uh, very rapidly. And in the meanwhile, we have asked that candidate to pause his campaign. The Liberal Party has come under fire for how it handles sexual misconduct allegations, and that includes criticism from NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, who is a survivor of sexual abuse. It's so painful when we see the pattern of behaviour with the Liberal Party, that they do not have the courage to take on men in positions of power, that they allow candidates to come forward and don't act. The New Democrats are campaigning on the East Coast, but started the day in Quebec, highlighting their plans to tackle climate change. Also in La Belle Provence, Yves-Francois Blanchet is ramping up his campaign, making stops in several key swing ridings. Miranda Anthesel, Global News. Up ahead, helping North Okanagan residents rise from the ashes. These people right here are a blessing. The volunteers sifting through burned-out homes for lost treasures. And later, good dog! Why Ripken is a crowd favorite at local baseball games. Still seeing insane gridlock both ways along Highway 1 tonight. Give yourself plenty of extra time to travel between North End and Coquitlam and watch out for a crash in the Cassiar Tunnel and a stalled semi at Grandview Highway. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. It was one of our most destructive wildfires that consumed more than 80 structures and now the focus turns to the cleanup of the massive mess left behind by the White Rock Lake fire. Among those helping residents recover anything that might be salvageable is a volunteer group from Alberta. And as Darian Matassa-Fung reports, for one man, it's meant being reunited with some very special and sentimental family mementos. This is a victory medal. Obviously all the ribbons are gone. 
72-year-old West Side Road resident Kent McFarlane, who lost his home to the destructive White Rock Lake wildfire, is now trying to put his life back together. He's getting help from volunteers with an Albertan non-denominational Christian organization who managed to find his father's and grandfather's war medals in the ashes. It means the world to us because we couldn't have done it without them. I can't, I couldn't go through that area over there myself. It's, it's ash and asphalt. It's a, it's a, it's a foot deep and I, I, I couldn't do it myself. I've had friends come and relatives come, but it's an overwhelming job. These people right here are a blessing to, to be here with us. Samaritan's Purse has been helping victims in the Lytton area since early August and have now arrived in the Okanagan to assist people here. And so what we're doing is we're offering two distinct services. One of them is sifting, where we'll go into a burnt out uh, residence with a property owner and help them look through to find anything that may have survived the fire. A lot of times mementos, uh, jewelry, things that uh, they'd like to, to recover. And the other thing we do is uh, tree work where we'll cut down either dangerous trees, which are gonna fall on a residence or on a roadway, power line, utility, whatever. The organization is mostly made up of volunteers, some of whom have come from across Canada. We have people here from New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Ontario, um, Alberta, British Columbia, and then the bulk of our volunteers will, will be here from the Vernon area or from British Columbia itself. One of the out of province volunteers is Patty Limp, She's traveled from Calgary. Lim says it's important for her to be here and to try and help others who are struggling, saying it's rewarding work. Every time we find something, when we see how much of a difference it makes for the homeowner, we see them relax, we see them uh, enjoy things that they thought they'd lost forever, it's amazing. The organization says it's looking to help as many people as it can. It's asking residents who need help to contact them by phone or through their website. Darian Matasafung, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, just days after BC announced it would be moving forward with COVID-19 vaccine booster shots for some immunocompromised groups, a similar plan south of the border has been halted. A U.S. Food and Drug Administration panel has now rejected a plan to administer booster doses to the general public, slight difference from what's planned here, because it's still not clear they're necessary. voted no. Dr. Wharton voted no. Dr. Fuller voted no. An FDA panel voted not to recommend Pfizer booster shots for people 16 and older based on the data they have currently. I'd like to see more data before I would recommend it for a younger age group. Supporters of boosters point to data from Israel, which showed severe cases sharply decreased in the 60 and over age group following the third dose. If we had not started booster doses at the end of July, we would have come to uh, the capacity of Israel uh, hospitalization capabilities. But some scientists question Israel's data. There's also disagreement on whether the general population needs boosters or whether it's more important to concentrate on the unvaccinated before giving third shots. Before the FDA advisory meeting, the Biden administration had already begun preparations to roll out booster shots as early as next week. Supply is in, in good shape um, for all Americans 
uh, to get boosters as recommended. Just this week, a group of scientists, including two outgoing FDA regulators, wrote an article published in The Lancet stating, although the benefits of primary COVID-19 vaccination clearly outweigh the risks, widespread boosting should be undertaken only if there is clear evidence that it is appropriate. It is not known whether there will be an increased risk of myocarditis, pericarditis, or other adverse reactions. As the pandemic rages on, a new exhibit opened on the National Mall of more than 600,000 white flags representing those in the U.S. who have died from COVID-19. Natalie Brand, CBS News, the White House. Just ahead, a warning sign from our oceans. We really need to get our acts together. UBC research on coral reefs shows the catastrophe of climate change. And coming up in sports, Canucks rookies step onto the ice and one steps up to the mic. UBC says its latest study is a call to action to save the world's critical coral reefs. And as Paul Johnson reports, the scientists say it's not just marine life that's at stake, but the future of millions of people, too. Few structures in the natural world come close to the mind-blowing magnificence of the planet's coral reefs. For Canadians who've had the opportunity to dive or snorkel on them, the experience is unforgettable. Now researchers at UBC hope their latest report is equally monumental. We want to know how much in the last half a century that we have already done that affects coral reefs' capacity to provide all these benefits. Professor William Chung is one of the researchers at UBC's Institute for the Oceans and Fisheries who aggregated data from a number of different studies to reach this staggering conclusion. The world's coral reefs have declined by half since the 1950s. And not surprisingly, people who rely on reef fisheries to sustain themselves have seen their catch fall by about the same amount. Globally, we have lost approximately about uh, 50% of the coral coverage. The reasons cited for that loss are both numerous and familiar. Habitat destruction from certain fishing practices, pollution, and the omnipresent threat of our times, climate change, which has seen heat waves trigger the death of reefs through coral bleaching. Coral reef is a very important ecosystems around the world. Important not just as beautiful things for tourists to see, but for the millions of people they feed, the coastal protection they provide, and the incredible biodiversity they support. As our coral reefs decline, so too does the abundance of our oceans. Paul Johnson, Global News. All right, it's been a pretty miserable day out there. Let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at how many more miserable days are to come. Christy? Thanks. So, so last check, we have over 7,000 people homes without power across the south coast, and the majority of those are across the Sunshine Coast area. Uh, we'll have a look at the winds in a second, but first, here's how much rainfall we're still expecting as we head through the evening and overnight hours. So really, the heaviest will be out through uh, northeast metro Vancouver, out through the Fraser Valley, with potentially another 20 to 50 millimeters, but far less expected for areas further west. Now, the winds so far have been gusting close to 70 kilometers an hour near to Washington. 
Dawson, uh, out towards the Sunshine Coast, or sorry, the Southern Gulf Islands as well. But there have been reports of 96 kilometer an hour gusts out through the Strait of Georgia. And that's likely one of the reasons why so many power outages through the Sunshine Coast area. Now that cold front is going to shift inland, so the winds will die down a little bit as we head through the morning hours tomorrow. Biggest concern this evening will be the interior regions as well. Heavy rain there and gusty winds potentially up to 80 kilometers an hour as that cold front moves across. We've already seen strong winds in through the southern Okanagan region. That's where we'll likely see those strongest winds. But Penticton reporting 76 kilometer an hour gusts there. Now, as for your Saturday, well, tomorrow will be chilly, just like today, with highs reaching only about 14 or 15 degrees. Tomorrow, though, the rainfall will be much more spotty. So some breaks of blue sky in through the interior, very little across the south coast, but we certainly will see some sunshine. But keep your eye on the sky because we have a risk of thunderstorms, and when those come across, we could see quite heavy downpours at times. But you can see 14 degrees as a high. That is certainly not feeling like summer. And officially, we change over to fall, not until Wednesday. Tonight's Central Windows weather window for you coming to you from, um, oh yeah, this was uh, in the Meziadin Lake, which is from Shelley. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Gorgeous blue waters there, as you can see, so crystal clear. Thanks, Christy. Wow. Yeah. Well, forget bat girls and bat boys. A minor league baseball team in North Carolina is now using man's best friend. And thanks to that GoPro footage, you now have a very good idea of exactly what this pup's day job looks like. That's five-year-old Ripken, named, of course, after the famous Baltimore Orioles player Cal Ripken Jr. He spends the nine-inning game retrieving errant bats, and the crowd loves it. Not, <laughs> and not the sure players, too. Not sure, and the players, too. Not sure when he'll be called up. Uh, all right, Squires here with a look at sports. All right, we are uh, less than a week away from Canucks training camp in Abbotsford and Abbotsford GM. Ryan Johnson says the Canucks organization likes its depth right now. A competitive organization is a very healthy one. There are spots that, that uh, are available. Rookie camp officially started today with Vasily Podkolzin as the big name out there. Also tonight, satellite debris. Floor is lava! Floor is lava! Floor is lava! Lava is floor! Oh, toy! Any length of time. I've said all along, a competitive organization is a very healthy one. There are spots that, that uh, are available that aren't necessarily penciled in. We've got guys that are going to have to earn them. I think it's going to bring out the best in everybody. Accountability of guys that even aren't, well, that I should say, that are on our roster here in Vancouver... They're going to have to be sharp and on it because there's going to be a lot of guys down below that if they're not, that are going to be ready to, to, to come in and claim a spot at some point during the year. Hey, there are some rookie front office types watching rookies on the ice at Rogers Arena today. The Sedins were sitting near the man who convinced the Canucks to draft them all those years ago, Thomas Gradine. And at rookie camp, the star is the most anticipated Russian draft choice since Pavel Bure, Vasily Podkolzin, who is uh, here after playing in the KHL. BC Lions are in Montreal tomorrow afternoon. Broadcast on AM 730. Starts with the pregame show at 3. Not a lot of scoring so far this year in the CFL. Defense is still ahead of offenses, but the Alouettes and Lions are the highest scoring team, so maybe the game will be a bit offensive. Rugby 7 starts tomorrow morning at BC Place. Both men's and women's 
will be out there. Teams will be out there, I should say. And the Canadian women's team is much different than the one we saw at the Olympics. This team will feature a lot of younger players who are considered the future of our Rugby Sevens program. It's time to refresh and rebuild Canada's women's sevens program. Canada finished a disappointing ninth in Tokyo, where they were considered a medal contender. Even though they're likely to have key members from their core group back for the next Olympics, there are some openings for the next wave of players, and many will get their chance to show what they've got this weekend at BC Place. Really, it's about uh, gaining the experience. So. A lot of them have been training the last 18 months without competition, so this is a really amazing opportunity um, to get that international experience in an environment that mimics what a series event would look like. One of those looking to make an impression is 20-year-old Ella O'Regan of Victoria. It's all about opportunity this coming year, with many of the veteran players either taking time off or retiring altogether. Just learn from the athletes around me. We have an amazing team today and for the weekend and I just want to grow and learn as much as I can from them and just be in the moment. It was a tough lead up to Tokyo for the women's team. Then head coach John Tate resigned after an investigation stemming from complaints that he was verbally abusive and intimidated players, but he was subsequently cleared of any wrongdoing. Olivia Apps is the only member of that Olympic team competing in Vancouver this week, which is being led by a female coach and former 15s rugby star player Kelly Russell. I think at the end of the day what, what coaching really comes down to is is... Um, you know, you're a person before you're an athlete, and I think that uh, there's a lot of coaches, whether you're male or female, uh, that can that can uh, adopt that kind of mentality. And Kelly definitely shows that, and I really appreciated that. I've really enjoyed being a part of the growth of the next generation, and again, talking about the excitingness of the athletes that are coming up and coming. It's it's been an amazing thing to be a part of. I'll be fun tomorrow and Sunday as well. Over to you guys. Bring your ticket, your vaccine card, and your government photo ID. <laughs> It'll be fun. All right, stick around. Satellite Debris up next. I'm betting Squire has something pretty cool for Satellite Debris. Oh, look debris. at that. Well, the first commercial is Ladbrooks, the betting company. <laughs> and it has to do with the balloon. When you see a balloon, you do not want it to hit the ground. Here we go. I know we're all going to miss Carol a lot, um, but she was talking about getting a camper done with John. Come on, baby, let's give it a try. Down that hill, don't be shy. I know it won't be so fine. Come on, baby, let's go, go, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me see you go, go, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me see you The uh, Nest security cams are using pets to uh, impress you. Here we go. She's here. I'm going on a walk. OMG, OMG, OMG. 
Nice box. What's in it? Is it cheeseburgers? I love cheeseburgers. I love popcorn. I love chips. I love pizza. I love watermelon. Lava, floor is lava, floor is lava, lava is floor. Oh, toy, speed, agility, footwork. Don't fall, don't step, don't fall. Floor, lava, don't step in lava. I stepped in lava. And last but not least, Snickers and the Joker. How about we play this next hand with the Joker? How about the Joker plays with you? You cut. Da, 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 da. Whoever draws the ace of spades wins the titles. That window. <laughs> Darren? Ever Snickers? Why? Because you get a little bit crazy when you're hungry. I'm not crazy. I'm just differently sane. <laughs> Better? Better. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. <laughs> That was like 60s TV series Joker, mm -hmm. yeah. the old Batman series. <laughs> Christy, we can hear that rain. Oh, it's coming down sideways here, you guys. It's incredible. And it is expected to last through the evening hours. And it's really starting to ramp up in the southern interior right now, too, with a number of homes without power. Careful out on those roads. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great weekend. Good night, all.